Blog Talk Radio. How would you like to get the inside scoop on the secret sauce of show business? Imagine being ahead of the pack when it comes to knowing how to land that part you crave in that film, play, or TV program. Listen to the Inside Acting Radio Show hosted by William Powell, the king of D.C. media, at blogtalkradio.com. Search Inside Acting. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the third annual Inside Acting Radio Show Oscar Special. Film historian Walter Frith and I will discuss and try to predict the winners in the following categories. Best Supporting Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Actress, Best Actor, Best Director, and Best Picture. The 91st Oscars will be held this Sunday, February 24th, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ABC Television. Now, more about Walter. He is a broadcaster since 1985, and he is also a longtime writer about film. You can find his exhaustive film histories if you go out there to Facebook. His handle there is WalterFrith.9. That's F-R-I-T-H is his last name. If you go to uh, YouTube, his handle there is uh, Invisigoth65, I-N-V-I-S-I-Goth65, and he has a fantastic video out there about The Sopranos, the ending explained 10 years later. Yes, indeed, and it is awesome. And uh, he hails all the way from Hamilton, uh, up there in, uh, I guess, Ontario, Canada. So I see Walter's on the air. So good evening, sir. You are on the air. Thanks for coming on. Well, good evening, William. Thank you for having me once again. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm excited about this year's Oscars, man. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in. So you got to talk to me about the... uh, the first category we've got here, uh, Best Supporting Actress. Well, we have uh, Amy Adams in Vice, Marina de Tavira in Roma, Regina King if Beale Street Could Talk, Emma Stone in The Favorite, and Rachel Wise in The Favorite. Now, we have two previous winners in this category. Emma Stone won the Best Actress Oscar uh, two years ago for La La Land, and Rachel Wise won Best Supporting Actress all the way back in 2005 for The Constant Gardener. This has been a very interesting category all the way through awards season. Now, I think the person who's going to win is Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk. Surprisingly, she was not nominated for the Screen Actors Guild Award, and that award went to uh, Emily Blunt for A Quiet Place, who isn't even nominated in this category. Now, what I'd like to do is tell you who I think will win, and then tell you who I would like to see win or who I think deserves to win. I really like Regina King's performance in this movie, but I have to say that Rachel Wise gave the best performance in The Favorite. She's sort of been the underdog throughout all these awards this season, and um, I think those two will go neck and neck in the end. And uh, it should be a very interesting race. I'd also like to add, William, that we only have, in my opinion – one category this year, and I won't give it away just yet, but we only have one category that is pretty much a 99.9% lock on who the winner will be. This is a very wide-open Oscar season this year, and that includes the best picture, which uh, I'll talk extensively about when we get to it. Okay, yeah, I, I admit, Walter, I'm, I'm behind the eight ball on these movies, man. I need to get out here and watch some more of these movies. I've heard fantastic things about these movies, but, uh, yeah, I wish I could give a considered opinion on them, but they're, they're all excellent actresses. What we're seeing, William, we're seeing the movies become much more competitive than they were about 10 years ago. One thing I always said about film is that once the year 2000 hit, the arts sort of took a back seat to technology. But what you're seeing happen over the last, I'd say the last popular It's a tug of war back and forth. TV is fighting for its life. The movies are fighting for their life, and they're going neck and neck, and they're battling each other. 
and the movies have really upped their game in just the last five or six years. The last decade, between 2000 and 2009, I was not impressed. I thought film took a very big slide. But ever since 2010, Mm. the movies have gotten a lot better, and I think the films have gotten progressively better since 2010. The last two years have been superb for film. This year, this past year, and 2017. They were both excellent years for film. And one thing about the movies, William, and the reason I still go, it's because we have a very good mix of something for everyone. You know, um, you look at historical significance. Last year we had Gary Oldman win Best Actor for Darkest Hour playing Winston Churchill. And then, of course, you had the ongoing revolving door of superhero films. So there's something for everybody. There's historical uh, significance and cultural impact, you know, based on the things we've learned in our history. And then it opens it up for historians to discuss how accurate they are. And then, of course, we have the other side, which is pure out entertainment, which seems to be in the realm of our superhero films. So just a terrific decade uh, so far this year. And um, I think we're going to see all of it come to a head with the last Star Wars film being released on Christmas Day this year. So it'll be a great way to wrap up the decade. You know, 42 years of Star Wars from 1977 to 2019. Uh, I think that'll be what they say, the icing on the cake. <laughs> there yeah. you go. There you go. Yeah, because I think TV, quality TV is, is pushing the movies and vice versa. So let's talk about the uh, supporting actors. So I see you have uh, Sam Rockwell is there. There's so many others. So talk about that. Yeah, we have Mahershala Ali in Green Book, Adam Driver in Black Klansman, Richard E. Grant and Can You Ever Forgive Me, Sam Elliott in A Star is Born, and Sam Rockwell in Vice. Now, Sam Rockwell's performance in Vice, uh, he plays George W. Bush very convincingly, just as convincingly as Christian Bale plays Dick Cheney. But I really liked Steve Carell better in the film as Donald Rumsfeld. I thought he had Hmm. a bigger part, and I thought he played the part just as well. But this is the category that I mentioned about five minutes ago, where I said it's about a 99.9% lock. I don't think anybody can touch Mahershala Ali. He is so likable in this movie, and he has much more screen time. He totally deserved to win two years ago for Moonlight, but he's only in the first 30, 35 minutes. He's in Green Book all the way through. And, you know, you could make an argument that he should be nominated for Best Actor right alongside Hugo Mortensen because his part is so large in the film. And uh, he's just terrific. He's, he's swept the award season this year, and I don't think anybody is going to touch him. But there's something that somebody wrote the other day. I won't mention the critic or who they write for. Somebody wrote that Sam Elliott could pull off an upset the way James Coburn did in 1998 for Affliction. James Coburn had mm. been a very well-liked character actor all through his career, and he played in a lot of Westerns and detective movies, and he never really got any credit. They finally decided to give him an Oscar that year. And yeah. this year, they're talking about Sam Elliott being the same type of actor the way, in his persona and the way he presents yeah. himself and how likable he's been over the last 30 or 40 years in film. And they're saying that he might pull off an upset. I don't think he will, but it's something to watch for because uh, the movies have become so competitive, like I said before, that we don't really know for sure. But I think Mahershala Ali is as close to a lock in any of these categories this year as you're going to find anywhere. All right, all right. That's that's good. So uh, we've got to move on and talk about Best Actress. Well, Best Actress is, first of all, we have um, Glenn Close in The Wife, Olivia Coleman in The Favorite. Um, we have Yalitza Aparicio in Roma. Lady Gaga in A Star is Born, and Melissa McCarthy in Can You Ever Forgive Me. Now, there's, this is a very unpredictable category. We have Glenn Close, who got her first Oscar nomination back in 1982 for The World According to Garp, and she was nominated three years in a row for that, in 1983 for The Big Chill, and in 1984 for The Natural. And then she went on to be nominated for Best Actress for Fatal Attraction in 1987 and Dangerous Liaisons in 1988. 
So she really did dominate the 80s. I think she was probably the actress of the decade, along with Meryl Streep during that yeah. time. And the last time she was nominated for an Oscar was in 2011 for the movie Albert Knobs. Now, she did win the uh, SAG Award, the Screen Actors Guild Award, for The Wife. It's a very good performance. The funny thing is, Lady Gaga's performance in A Star is Born, she and Bradley Cooper pretty much led the pack at the beginning of award season. But that film has basically been, I don't want to say it's been forgotten, but it has faded from a lot of people's memories and has not mm. done well during award season. She and Bradley Cooper were the odds-on favorite when the film came out, and now they, she's sort of taken a back seat. In fact, she slipped to actually to third place. The odds makers have Glenn Close in The Wife and Olivia Coleman in The Favorite. Now, the interesting thing about Lady Gaga is I think she's going to win the Oscar for the song from the film, but I don't think the Academy is going to give her two Oscars in one night, especially when yeah. you look at uh, Glenn Close's work over the last 35 years or so. But in this category, I think the winner is going to be Glenn Close and the wife. But I think you could see a split vote in this category between her and Lady Gaga. And Olivia Coleman could come up the middle uh, for the favorite. She just won the British Academy Award either last weekend or the weekend before that. So uh, she could be the underdog that, uh, that comes out on top. But, you know, Melissa McCarthy is really carving out a good uh, name for herself. She's a great comedian. But she's also turned in a couple of dramatic performances in recent years. And like Robin Williams 35 years ago, or Tom Hanks, I love it when man or woman, comedian, comedian, I love to see them do comedy, but then move on to try and do something dramatic. And, uh, I mean, a lot of them had that dramatic ability in them. It's just a matter of tapping that potential. And I hope she goes on to do a lot more in the field of drama because she's very, very good at it. Yeah, you got to talk a little bit more about Roma. I'm not familiar with that film. Roma is from Alfonso Curion, and back in 2013, Alfonso Curion won two Academy Awards that year for directing Gravity, and he was also one of the editors on the film. That film also won for editing, and Gravity won seven Oscars in 2013, but it didn't win Best Picture. Uh, that distinction went on to 12 Years a Slave. Now, Roma is set in 1970 in Mexico City, and it is set uh, during what was, I think it was called the, the Mexican Dirty War, 1970, uh, where there was a citizen uprising, a rebellion against the government at that time. I haven't really investigated the whole history of the thing, but uh, the film does culminate um, more than halfway through by the audience seeing how that is portrayed. And... The film is about a young girl, and she's a servant to a family. And that's Best Actress nominee, uh, Yelitsa Aparicio. And um, she's a servant to the family. And I don't want to give too much away in terms of what happens to her in the film, but her life does take uh, a big turn throughout the film leading up to the finale. So it's a story about family dealing with, you know, its own humanity, and they also have to live through the struggles of the uprising, and um, it has a very good climax. I just wish that the climax, the rest of the film, uh, I should say, was as good as, say, the last half hour. Roma is a film that you have to be very, very patient on. It's, it's very slow moving, but by the time it's all over, it's very, very absorbing. And uh, I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was a great film. I think it will win the Foreign Language Award this year. And I think Alfonso Curion is going to win Best Director. And I also think it's going to win for the cinematography as well. But the American Society of Cinematographers just gave that award to Cold War uh, last mm. weekend or the weekend before that. And uh, Roma lost. So it could win the Oscar, but it's touch and go. Both films, though, I'd like to say, are shot in beautiful black and white. And uh, we still see that filmmakers have not lost that tradition. But uh, Roma is a very good film, but it's also a very personal film on the part of Alfonso Curion. And I think he wanted to tell a story from his own point of view and make a film that was very close to his heart. You know, you, you did touch on something that, uh, what's in 2010 to the present is a great decade. It must be a great decade when gra I did not know that gravity, uh, won that many Oscars. That's, that's well, gravity won. Yeah. Gra gravity won the most 
the highest number of Oscars for a film yeah. that uh, never won Best Picture since Cabaret, all the way back in 1972. Cabaret wow. won eight Oscars in 1972, but it didn't win Best Picture. That distinction went to The Godfather. The Godfather was only able yeah. to pull off three Oscars in 1972. Best Picture, Best Director for Marlon, uh, sorry, Best Actor for Marlon Brando, and Best Adapted Screenplay, Francis Ford Coppola and Mario Puzo. Now, the film in history that was nominated for the most Oscars overall without not being nominated for Best Picture is a movie called They Shoot Horses, Don't They? from 1969. Yeah. That's a Sidney Pollack movie with, uh, with Jane Fonda and Gig Young, who won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar for that. That film received the highest number of Oscar nominations without being nominated for Best Picture. But Cabaret won the most at the time without winning Best Picture. And then Gravity is in second place, winning the second highest total without winning Best Picture. So, I mean, I'm friends with a lot of people on Facebook that are into film. And a lot of them say, well, the best director should coincide with the best film. I yeah. think there's a lot of validity to that, but I also think that the writing is just as important as the directing. Now, very seldom do we see a film win Best Picture that doesn't win either a directing or a writing award. Uh, we saw that in 2000 and 2002. Gladiator won Best Picture, but it did not win for director or screenplay. And in uh -huh. 2002, Chicago won Best Picture, but it did not win for directing or for screenplay. But a film that wins the, uh, the Oscar for Best Picture in 99% of cases or 95% of cases wins either for directing or for writing. And uh, last year we did see a uh, director and picture matchup with The Shape of Water winning in both those categories. Uh, 2016 and 2015, though, were interesting. 2016, Moonlight won Best Picture. Damien Chazelle won Best Director for La La Land. And in 2015, we saw Spotlight win Best Picture, but Alejandro G. Inarritu won Best Director for The Revenant. So two of the last three years, the Best Director and the Best Picture have differed. <laughs> you know, 35, 40 years ago, you might see that happen once every 10 years. Now it's becoming yeah. a regular thing. It's about a 50-50 split. And I think that just goes to show that no film is sweeping the Oscars anymore. You're seeing... Films win at the most two, three, four Oscars, including Best Picture. All of your epics from 35, 40 years ago, Amadeus, eight Oscars, Lawrence of Arabia, seven Oscars. Yeah. Even in the last decade, Slumdog Millionaire, eight Oscars. All of these won Best Picture. But so far in this decade, we only have the artist, I think. I'd have to go back and double check. But the artist in 2011 won five Oscars. Uh, the other film, yeah. like The King's Speech, four. Argo won three. Birdman won four. Spotlight won two. Moonlight won three. The Shape of Water won four. And it doesn't look like any film is really going to sweep the awards this year. I don't think any film huh. is going to win more than four. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's really something. And uh, there's, there's a lot of competition out there now. And it, it, you know what? It makes it better for the audience. The yeah. audience is the biggest benefactor of all of this. You, you stole the words right out of my mouth. It's, it's, it's competition, and they're just not rubber stamping things anymore. So we got to segue to uh, best actor. So, wow, I'm, I'm going to just let you run, take the ball with that one. There's just so many here. Well, this is my favorite category. It's always been my favorite category. And I have an interesting story on a personal level after I tell you who the nominees are and who I think should win uh -huh. and I think will win, and we'll touch on that. The nominees for Best Actor are Christian Bale in Vice, Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born, uh, Willem Dafoe in At Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody, and Viggo mm -hmm. Mortensen in Green Book. Now, this is a category that I could go on and on about, William, for probably the next hour or so, so I'll try and condense mm -hmm. it down for our time here. Now, Bradley Cooper worked for four years on A Star is Born. Um, his last film, I think, before this one, he was in Joy in 2015 mm -hmm. with Jennifer Lawrence, but he had a very small part in that. But prior to that, a role that he had any real substance in was Clint Eastwood's American Sniper, and he was nominated for Best Actor for that. But this is a personal passion for
for Bradley Cooper. This is the fourth film uh, of A Star is Born. The original is 1937 with uh, Frederick uh-huh. March and Janet Gaynor. Then we have 1954 with um, James Mason and Judy Garland. Then we have 1976 with Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand. And now we have 2018 with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. So this has been a very uh, personal project for Bradley Cooper. Unfortunately, he's not nominated for Best Director. He's up for Best Actor. I think he's an underdog in this category. And he's also up for uh, co-writing the film and also for co-producing it. I don't think he's going to walk away with any awards this year. But uh, he did provide us with a film that is... I think it's going to stand the test of time, but for some reason, it has quickly faded from memory. Now, Christian mm. Bale is somebody who I've had a lot of respect for over the years. Christian Bale is known for gaining a lot of weight and then taking it all off. And then once he's back to his normal weight, he'll go to another film and he'll actually lose weight for that film. So he's been on sort of a yo-yo diet for the last, I don't know, 20 years in film. And the first time I saw him, was in Steven Spielberg's Empire of the Sun back in 1987 when he was 13 mm-hmm. years old. Now, Christian Bale will be 45 this year. And he gained a lot of weight and put on a lot of prosthetic makeup uh, to play Dick Cheney. And he's got everything about Dick Cheney down perfectly. His voice, mm. his facial expressions, the way he uses his hands, everything. He is so good in the movie. And uh, he won the Golden Globe Award. Uh, for Best Actor in a Drama. Now, we have Willem Dafoe, who surprised a lot of people by being nominated in this category. A lot of people thought that John David Washington was going to get nominated for Black Klansman, and I think probably in the end he should have. Uh, Willem Dafoe's performance in At Eternity's Gate is good, but Willem Dafoe has always been known as a character actor. Uh, He's been nominated three times previously for Supporting Actor Mm -hmm. for Platoon in 1986, Uh, for Shadow of the Vampire in 2000, and for the Florida Project last year in 2017. He plays Vincent Van Gogh in the picture, um, the famous painter. He's really good in the movie, but um, I think he's probably number five out of the five actors. A really good performance, but not one that you remember if you're going to be basing it on a real-life character. I much preferred uh, Kirk Douglas's portrayal of Vincent Van Gogh going all the way back to 1956 in a movie called Lust for Life. Now we have Viggo Mortensen in Green Book. Now, Viggo Mortensen has been around for a long time. The first time I saw him in a film was Witness, all the way back in 1985. Um, He doesn't have a big part in that. He's on screen for a few seconds, and that's about it. Now, over the years, especially when Lord of the Rings came around, when the trilogy came around, Uh, that's when he really got his big break. He did act in films before that, and film buffs and critics knew who he was. But the Lord of the Rings films really put him on the map for the the new century. Now, Viggo Mortensen is, um, I believe he turned 60 last year. And Mm -hmm. in the last 10 or 15 years, he's been nominated uh, twice for an Academy Award. He was nominated in 2007 for David Cronenberg's Eastern Promises, and he was nominated in 2016 for the movie Captain Fantastic. Now, he should have been nominated in 2005 for A History of Violence, uh, David Cronenberg's uh, great film on crime, and he wasn't nominated for that. It was nominated for two Oscars, for William Hurt for Supporting Actor and Adapted Screenplay. But I'll bet you Viggo Mortensen was very, very close uh, when the yeah. nominations went down. He, probably, he just missed it by, by a whisker. Now, he plays a real-life character in this movie. He plays a character named... Tony Lip. Now, I want to thank you, William, for promoting my Sopranos video at the beginning there. Uh, (laughs) Tony Lip, the real Tony Lip, who passed away in 2013, was a major Uh character on the Sopranos. He played a character named Carmine Lupertazzi. Okay? This is the real Tony Lip. His real name is Tony Vallelonga, but his nickname was Tony Lip. He plays Carmine Lupertazzi on the Sopranos, the head of the New York family. Okay? Ah, Viggo Mortensen is playing Tony Lip in this movie, right? Um, Now, in the picture, he is a chauffeur, he's a bodyguard, and he's a valet uh, for Dr. Don Shirley, played by Mahershala Ali, who is a world-famous concert performer and virtuoso. Now, in the movie, they travel from New York City all the way down to the Deep South. 
and they encounter the usual things you would expect during that time, which is about the early to mid-1960s. A lot of racial prejudice, and uh, Viggo Mortensen has to step in uh, from time to time and be the muscle in uh, protecting uh, Dr. Shirley. Now, this is what really gets under my skin, is when we start talking about these historical films, and I'm going to talk about Rami Malek in a minute for Bohemian Rhapsody. What I'm going to say now applies to that film as well. Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody have gotten a very bad rap as far as historical accuracy is concerned. Mm. I realize that when you have a real-life story, you have to try and be as faithful to the source as possible. But every single picture that is based on fact always takes license with the truth. You have to, Mm. William, if you don't embellish, if you don't make it an entertainment, it's not a movie. You know what it is? It's a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to see if you want to see a real life story about a person or a group or whatever, a leader, a world leader, go watch a documentary. Okay? We didn't have this type of outcry thirty five years ago. I can remember Amadeus being made in nineteen eighty four. And that yeah. is the story of Mozart and Salieri. Now in real life, Mozart and Salieri knew each other, but they didn't have the type of rivalry or jealousy on Salieri's part that we saw in that right. film. And the film also portrayed Mozart as a drug addict, as a drunk, as somebody who went deeply into debt. That never happened with Mozart. That's not historically accurate, but they embellished to make it entertaining. And, you know, Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody, they have split right across the board. The critics liked Green Book. Not a lot. The majority of critics liked it, but not as many as I thought would. But it did very good box office. Bohemian Rhapsody has been a very, very polarizing film between the critics and the audience. It's made $850 million, but the critical reception to it has been lukewarm. And now we have Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody, who, uh, yeah, in my opinion, is going to win. Now, this is a project that's been going on for about the last 10 years or so. Um, back about 2006, 2007, right after Borat came out with Sasha Baron Cohen, That came out in 2006. They were talking about putting him in the Freddie Mercury biopic. And I think something happened. There was a falling out over creative differences and whatnot, and he didn't get the gig. So they went back to the drawing board, and they finally came up with Rami Malek. Now, Brian May, the lead guitar player for Queen, and Roger Taylor, the drummer, have worked extensively over the last 10 years. They've been with the project through thick and thin all the way down the line. So we just talked about how critics and audiences and whoever and even filmmakers were not there. So we don't know the true story of whatever our subject is, but these guys do. Brian May and Roger Taylor were actually there and they told what I believe is a very human story about Freddie Mercury and the band and themselves And the most important thing to remember about Bohemian Rhapsody is that it celebrates the music most of all. And the concert scene at the end where where they recreate Live Aid from July 13th, 1985 is the highlight of the Mm -hmm. film. I remember watching that with friends and the film captured it perfectly. And Rami Malek has got every single thing that Freddie Mercury could do. The way he held the microphone, the way he moved on stage, the way he spoke. Uh, the way he acted in the studio as the band's creative force overall. He added the yeah. feel of opera to Queen's music. And to me, he gives a great performance. I don't think he's a lock, though. I think Christian Bale could steal it for Vice. Uh, there are a lot of sites that are predicting an upset in this category because of the backlash to Bohemian Rhapsody. But I think Rami Malek is going to triumph in the end. And he did win the Screen Actors Guild Award. And I think that he is going to win the Oscar. I mean, this category, right. William, is uh, this category. I just want to say one more thing about this category. My favorite year for the best actor is 1982. Yeah. That's the year Ben Kingsley won for Gandhi, that everybody thought Paul Newman was going to win for the verdict, and a lot of people yeah. had Justin Hoffman picked for Tootsie. So uh, most years you see two great performances battling it out, and somebody has to lose. That year you had three. We have it again this year. Mm. We have Christian Bale and Vice, Rami Malek and Bohemian Rhapsody, and Viggo Mortensen in Green Book. I think all three of these performances could win. Mm. 
And I think that Viggo Mortensen could come up the middle if Christian Bale and Rami Malek split the vote. Because if you're going to give it to Mahershala Ali, who I predict is a lock, you have to sort of give it to the person that he plays off of, who's Viggo Mortensen. So any one of these three guys could win. I give Rami Malek about a 90% chance, Christian Bale about a 60% chance, and Viggo Mortensen about a 40% chance of winning. So we could see something interesting in this category. Yeah. Quite a story. Quite a story. Yeah, neck and neck, neck and neck, like a marathon. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, because Vigo, I know I saw him in a Carlito's way. He did some good work in that one. And another thing you mentioned about, uh, what was it, Gandhi 1982. We need to have you back and have a show. We could do a whole show just about uh, on the, the competition between what year was a better year in film, 1982 or 1939. I, I'd like to do a show on that. That's amazing. Yeah, sure. You know what? It's interesting you should mention that. I, yeah. You just you just, uh, you just jogged my memory there. Um, I remember about in 2006 when Rocky Balboa yeah. came out. That was the, uh, yeah. the sixth Rocky film, right? What they right. had in that was they had a computer simulation in that movie. You had the current yeah. world champion at the time, and then there was a computer right. simulation saying how he would do up against Rocky Balboa if they both fought in their prime, right? So this, <laughs> this goes back to, like, you know, you take baseball, for example. You know, let, yeah. what would it be like to see Roger Clemens pitch to Babe Ruth, you know? <laughs> You're talking wow. about a 50, 50 years apart, right? So, yeah, I mean, with movies, it's the same thing. I mean, you could argue Godfather versus Goodfellas, uh, you could argue yeah. um, political dramas of the 30s and 40s and 50s. How are they compared to the films when censorship fell, when they could use violence and language tastefully, but as part of the story, not just for exploitation, yeah. right? So, yeah, I would definitely love to come back and do a comparison show um, of, of years on film. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that. Absolutely, absolutely. So we got to move on to best director. You got to talk about that category. Well, the best director category this year. Um, I already mentioned to you that Bradley Cooper did not get nominated for best director, even though everybody had him pecked uh, to get nominated, and he was left out. Now there is a film called Cold War. I mentioned that film a few minutes ago in relation to uh, winning the cinematography award going up against Roma, shot in black and white. It's, uh, it's a story about uh, the Iron Curtain uh, after World War II that was put up by the Soviet Union. And the film is set primarily in Poland and then outside in free Europe in places like Austria and, and France. And it's the story of, um, of a music teacher and his student and how they fall in love. And he's a much older man than she is. And it's, it's a very good film. And the director is uh, Powell Polakowski, and he's nominated for Best Director, and he surprised a lot of people, but he totally deserves to be nominated, and it's great to see that the Academy is recognizing a lot of foreign films. Um, Roma and The Favorite, each being nominated for 10. Uh, One is a story of England, one is the story of Mexico, and we have Cold War, which is a story set during the actual Cold War. Now, we also have uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, for the favorite. Now, this is the guy who made a movie called The Lobster from a couple of years ago, and he made a film called The Killing of the Sacred Deer. I didn't really care for either one of those films, but he has created a tremendously lavish film with The Favorite. We have Adam McKay nominated for Vice. Now, Adam McKay made a film three years ago called The Big Short, and it tried to tell the story of the worldwide economic downfall of 2008 and how a bunch of guys bet against the housing market, which no one thought would ever happen. And they made a lot of money by selling stock short. And Adam McKay and Charles Rudolph won the adapted screenplay Oscar for that. So um, Adam McKay was predicted to be nominated and he is. We have uh, Spike Lee nominated. Believe it or not, Spike Lee's first nomination in history for Best Director. He's also nominated Mm. for Adapted Screenplay this year uh, for Black Klansman. And now, two or three years ago, Spike Lee was given an honorary Oscar, long overdue, Mm. given an honorary Oscar by the Academy, because Spike Lee's only nominations prior to that were in 1989 for the original screenplay of Do the Right Thing, 
And mm-hmm. he made a documentary sometime in the last, I don't know the exact year, but it was sometime in the last 10 or 15 years. It was called uh, Four Little Girls. And it was about mm. four uh, black girls who were killed in a church bombing in the South uh, back in yeah. the 1960s. And uh, yeah, it was a documentary feature. And Spike Lee didn't win for either one. But he is the odds-on favorite this year to win the Adapted Screenplay Award. And uh, Black Plansman, I've seen it four times. I have it in 4K Blu-ray. Yeah. High definition. It's a terrific movie. And I think it could go all the way this year, but I'll get back to that in a moment. And the yeah. last nominee is Alfonso Curion for Roma, who has basically uh, swept the awards this year across the board for Best Director. And he's probably going to win, but I would like to see – Spike Lee get it for Black Clansman. But remember I mentioned about 15, 20 minutes ago, I mentioned that films that win Best Picture either win um, director or writer. Well, Black Clansman is based on a true story. And if it doesn't win the directing award, it could win the screenplay award, and it could take Best Picture. You know, they might want to make it up to Spike Lee, and deservedly so, for snubbing him for all these years, for all the great films he made. Jungle Fever, uh, Malcolm X, uh, Mo Better Blues. He is a culturally significant director in America, and he's been overlooked, and this could be the Academy's way of making it up to him by giving him the Best Picture Award, and he would totally, totally deserve it. So I think Alfonso Curiana is going to win, but watch out for Spike Lee coming up as the underdog, and he could be the possible upset in this category. Yeah, that was a great film. Uh, I've seen it uh, at least two times, and that uh, that that was, I think, some of his finest work. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yep, yeah. Awesome. Okay, so last but not least, let's talk about best picture. Well, the nominees for best picture of the year, uh, we have uh, Black Panther. Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. So now you have to look at, you have to break these films down in the context of other categories, most notably being Best Director and Best Screenplay. So I'll cut right to the chase and tell you what I think will win and then tell you what I think deserves to win. Um, I think overall, I think Roma is going to win in this category. I really think it will. It's up for 10 Oscars. I think it's going to win Best Director, Best Cinematography, and I think it's going to be the first film in history to win the Foreign Language Award film and also win the Academy Award for Best Picture. You know, there's a thing called the Law of Averages, and it's never happened in history. A foreign film has never won the Best Picture Oscar. It should have happened back in 2000 for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, That was Ang Lee's superb martial arts film, and it won the Foreign Language Award film, but it didn't win the Oscar for Best Picture. I think this time Roma will. The film that I think deserves to win, honestly, is Black Klansman. And for the reasons I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, pursuant to Spike Lee and his history. Now, we have Green Book and we have Bohemian Rhapsody. I pretty much spoke extensively on both of those films how they are trying to be historically accurate, but how they're being picked apart by film critics and the media in general. Black Panther, I think, is a nomination of encouragement. I think it's a breakthrough for the Marvel franchise, and I also think that it's a breakthrough for action films in general. Um, Yeah. To me, it is the best action film, the best superhero film, I should say, of all time, right up there with The Dark Knight and Spider-Man 2. I think those are the top three superhero films in history. And I think Black Panther uh, totally deserves this nomination. Now, A Star is Born, I mean, as I said, it started off as the favorite in most categories, but it hasn't been forgotten, but it's sort of faded from memory for a lot of people. And Bohemian Rhapsody doesn't have any nominations for director or screenplay, and neither does Black Panther. So I think those two, along with Star is Born, can be ruled out. Now we get down to the thick of things when talking about the underdog. We have three films that could surprise this year. We have Green Book, we have The Favorite, and we have Vice. Now I have, in the, in the, in the screenplay categories, I have The Favorite picked for original screenplay, 
and I have Black Klansman picked for adapted screenplay. You put those two films together with Alfonso Curian's predicted win for Best Director, and any one of those films, I think, could upset, and I think it will be one of those three films, either Roma, Black Klansman, or The Favorite. I think The Favorite is going to win at least three or four Oscars. It's going to win original screenplay. It's going to win for production design, costumes, possibly cinematography. And I think one of the three performances, either by Olivia Coleman or Emma Stone or Rachel Wise, could win. And if that's the case, then because the entire Academy votes on Best Picture, I think that could be the one that carries uh, carries things across the finish line. And, you know, we've had some great period piece movies <clears throat> over the last 50 years. We've had movies like Barry Lyndon and Nicholas and Alexandra and a lot of very lavish costume pictures, rich in costume design. Yeah rich in production design <clears throat> and not one of them has ever won the best picture award. So we could see a first in that with the favorite or with Roma being the first film to win um, the foreign language film award, as well as the best picture Oscar, or um, we could see green book win because green book is a very, very likable film. And uh, we'll see, but like I say, the favorite or black Klansman could upset and are the underdogs, but I think it will go to Roma. All right. We'll see if you're, you're uh, accurate in that prediction. And I, I thought it was interesting that you did not mention, maybe I missed it. Uh, Superman, 1978, Christopher Reeve. Uh, it I think that would be one of the top superhero movies out there. I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. My only complaint about that movie is that, the special effects at the time were limited. Now, I, I just yeah. bought the 4K version of Superman last year. Uh, it just came out either last year or earlier this year. And it had a lot of problems with the original film. A lot of color problems, a lot of cropping issues came up, but they have fixed now with the 4K technology. Computer algorithms have gotten so advanced that they're able to make films look a lot better now, including cleaning up old films, right? But a lot of the background stuff and a lot of the flying didn't look great in Superman. I think they they made that film when they still needed a few more years of technology to get it right. You could tell in a lot of scenes that he's on wires, and uh, it, it looks like a very limited production today compared to other films of the time. Like Star Wars was made a year before that, so was Close Encounters. Both of those had great special effects at the time that have held up extremely well into today. But Superman, they didn't quite have the technology to make it look as realistic as it does today or as realistic looking as Star Wars or Close Encounters. And the thing about Superman, what I liked about Superman better than the actual action or flying or special effects in general was the story. The way Superman from 1978 was nurtured as a film is it takes yeah. it takes a very long time to get to the action. You don't see anything really happen with him becoming a man and becoming Clark Kent and going to Metropolis and working at the Daily Planet. It takes about an hour for all of that to happen, right? Yeah. You actually see the story of Krypton and you see how he was sent to Krypton by his mother and father. And then you see him go to the Fortress of Solitude after his earthly father dies. And his his father from Krypton schools him on the history of the planet and the history of his people. And he learns all about it, and then he becomes Superman. But uh, I was much more impressed with the way the story unfolded than I was with the special effects or the action overall. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I like yeah. Christopher Reeve's performance and also the great Marlon Brando was there. So we're getting near the end here, so we got to talk about what are some honorable mentions from 2018 that you liked? William, there is a film that it is a sin. I'll say it again. It is a sin that this is not nominated. And it comes in all categories in the documentary feature. William, have yeah. you heard of a documentary called They Shall Not Grow Old? No. This is a documentary from Peter Jackson, who made the Lord of the Rings films. Now, I could say so much on this film, but we have a limited amount of time. So I'll cut right to the chase. It shows you documentary footage 
real life footage, real life footage from the Great War, World War I, from 1914 to 1918. What Peter Jackson did is he took actual footage, actual black and white, torn, tattered footage. Now, you know, back in those days when we had silent films, we had the cameras all had a crank on them, right? You'd, you'd turn the yeah. crank on a camera. That's why when you watch a lot of the silent films, the actors move very quickly, right? Peter Jackson was able to do several things with the old footage. He was able to slow it down to the standard 24 frames per second that we enjoy right. today. And we've enjoyed for decades in our films, right? He slowed the film right. down so it looks normal. Secondly, he removed all the tattering, all the scratches, all the dirt, everything off the film, and he colorized it. The film is amazing. If you look at it, it doesn't look like 1918. It looks like today. It's footage that's over wow. 100 years old, and he was able to make it look like it's brand new. Now, this is the most interesting story of all. In this documentary, the real soldiers, you can see their lips moving. Obviously, we don't know what they're saying because it was all shot silently, right? So you have to make things up and you have to dub it properly. Peter Jackson took actual veterans of today, actual war veterans of today, and he used them to dub over made-up dialogue that they inserted into the film. So you've really got to see this. It's a shame that this wasn't nominated for documentary feature. It's called They Shall Not Grow Old. It's a technological marvel for a documentary movie put together by Peter Jackson. That is the biggest oversight of everything. Um, other ones I would say are Can You Ever Forgive Me for Best Picture? Bradley Cooper not being nominated for A Star is Born. Peter Farrelly not being nominated for Green Book. I would also give honorable mention to Margot Robbie for Best Supporting Actress for Mary Queen of Scots, along with Emily Blunt in A Quiet Place. Uh, Steve Carell in Vice, who I liked a lot better. I mentioned to, that, mentioned to you that earlier. I liked him much better than Sam Rockwell in that film. John David Washington in Black Klansman. Robert Redford in The Old Man and the Gun, along with Clint Eastwood in The Mule. This is expected to be the last film for each man. Robert Redford already said it's going to be his last film. So I don't think we'll see him in films anymore. Timothy Chalamet yeah. in Beautiful Boy, which is a performance that got universal praise. He was nominated for everything. The Golden Globe, the Screen Actors Guild Award. He didn't get Oscar nominated for it. And Ethan Hawke in a film called First Reformed, which was one of my 10 favorite films of last year. He plays a very troubled priest in the film. And uh, Paul Schrader made that. Paul Schrader wrote the screenplay of Taxi Driver for Martin Scorsese. He worked with Martin Scorsese on a lot of his other films. And this is the first nomination. First Reform is up for Best Original Screenplay. And in over 40 years of work, this is Paul Schrader's first nomination for Original Screenplay. But Ethan Hawke did not get nominated for Best Actor. And I wanted to see him get nominated. He was expected to be nominated, but William Defoe slipped in and took his nomination for At Eternity's Gate. So those are, wow. those are the honorable mentions for 2018. Wow, wow. Well, Walter, man, I, I could talk all night, but I really enjoyed it. I look forward to seeing if your predictions come true. Well, thank you very much, William. It was a pleasure to be here again, and uh, I'll be happy to come back anytime you ask. <laughs> thank you so much, Absolutely. my friend. Yes, okay, man. You have a wonderful night. You too, William. Take care. And all the best to you. And enjoy the Oscars on Sunday. Yes, I will. Okay. Nice. See you later. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, folks out there in Radio Land, remember to do something for your career every single day. And break a leg. Night. Under the dark you pacify me. Hold my breath Take me down, I won't fight Beat on my heart, you drum inside me Somewhere my death Makes the sound no one can find I never met anyone like you
my skin you climb like I did On walls of grey Save me now, you're too close Feels like a sin when you're beside me Till I play with your danger 